Hello, everyone. Welcome to the debut episode of Neon Genesis Evanglorio, our very creatively named new uh, podcast venture on the Glorio Network here. Our uh, our very relevant podcast, our very timely (laughs) podcast about uh, 1996. Is it 1996? We could say five. It started in 95. Timelier than Legend of the Glorio Heroes. (laughs) Hey, yes. well, look, <laughs> we're nothing if not always ready to capitalize on the hottest and newest trends. Man, we didn't even get into the first minute and you guys managed to bring up Legend of the Galactic Heroes. I, I, I we, we are pros. And also, yeah. I'd like to point out that wasn't me this time. I, uh, I, yes, but anyway, yes, as we've mentioned, we are here to talk about the iconic 1995 sci-fi mecha classic Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a series that I'm sure we don't need to introduce to anime fans. Uh, It is omnipresent. Uh, It's been a phenomenon since the day it came out and honestly never really gone away. (laughs) It's kind of always uh, been... uh, For for better or worse, shall we say... (laughs) Yes, uh, I I would personally mostly say for the better, except maybe some of the weird merchandising stuff that's still happening to this day. I mean, but, uh, we can we can get into this later, but I would say yes, I would agree for the better. Had its influence lasted for you know the uh, ten fifteen years that a good influential work should, and not the you know two to three decades in which it still cast a shadow over. Oh yes, there'll be plenty of time for that. So. Um, while the show itself may not need any introduction, we sure do. So uh, let's just kick things off by uh, introducing our cast for this adventure. Uh, if you are a listener to our other podcasts, these are going to be some familiar voices. Also, thank you for listening. Uh, if not, then uh, we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Jell. Uh, some may say the Gendo Akari of the Glorio Network. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you guys can't see me with my my fingers up in front of my face right now as I'm talking to the microphone. But uh, with me today, we have uh, also Iroh. Hi, I'm still here. Uh, I guess if I'm a Neva character, I'm the third dude who sits at the console and shows up every episode but does nothing. Would you be like, um, what's the guy's name? Futsky? Is that? The colonel guy. Oh, the is guy that the old guy that stands next to him? No, no, for reasons we will eventually reach. Oh, I was gonna say, is like, you do, do you? Is that is that because you don't think you are worthy of that, or do you not want to be associated with that character? Uh, you'll uh, have to find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to stay tuned and find out. Sure. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, we have uh, the one and only G Man. So. I think that uh, the unofficial slash official title of this podcast should actually be uh, Pilgrimage to Mecca, subtitle Neon Genesis Evanglorio. But, uh, yes, you know, that would make for a very long 
that would make for a very long title in the post, unfortunately. But indeed, so I'm, I'm willing to compromise to explain here. to the listeners what Pilgrimage to Mecca is. Sure, seeing as uh, we haven't had a new entry in that uh, in that Glorio feature in at this point probably two to three years, but. Uh, uh, maybe if you finish unaware, Zeta Gundam. Look, I'm working on Zeta. It, it, it'll happen after, maybe after I finish Legend of the Galactic Heroes. So, never. But, <laughs> for those uh, unaware, uh, Pilgrimage to Mecca was a uh, was a feature that I started on the Glorio blog a few years back. You know, kind of a, a play on the words, so to speak. Uh, you know, as, I guess, as the designated Mecca fan of the Glorio chat, you know, like... Let's be real here, Mecca is my lifeblood, and in some ways has recently become part of my actual occupation. Uh, it is a genre that matters uh, quite deeply to me, but, uh, you know, uh, and no super fan is perfect, of course. You know, there's always going to be those those kind of holes in your knowledge base, so I kind of used Pilgrimage to Mecca as an excuse to kind of, you know, get around to watching a lot of those perennial works that I had not watched, you know, when I was younger. You know, this includes stuff like Pat Labor or the original Mobile Suit Gundam. You know, kind of going back to these, uh, for the most part, pretty old uh, franchises, uh, kind of watching them with a modern lens and uh, discussing, you know, basically, what were my thoughts on those uh, those shows? And then perhaps more importantly, uh, what was their kind of, long-standing legacy on the genre their effect on the genre and uh i don't know i think i did like what like seven eight posts before like you know life happened so (laughs) (laughs) you know but uh it's it is a it is a series that has always been near and dear to my heart and one that i've always wanted to uh to continue with so you know with uh with the way the way the season's turning out, you know, we figured <laughs> with not a whole ton to watch that uh, I think now was a good time to finally uh, get around to the uh, yes, the legendary uh, 1995 science fiction uh, mecha anime. Also, with its looming return on Netflix. Yes, also that we we want to beat we want to beat all the we want to beat the Netflix takes to the punch. You know, yeah, uh, so that that uh that kind of. I guess the stars and planets kind of aligned up there. We've been we've been looking for an excuse to make G watch Evangelion because he has not seen the full television series. Yes, yet. that is the part I forgot to mention is that uh, despite so being that, the mecha fan. Yes, so that that have, that's uh, a, that was a that was prime material for pilgrimage for pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, and you know with you know with our podcasting thing going on with that trying to get an excuse to make G watch it, and then finally the Netflix announcement. We're like, you know what? Maybe now is the uh, time to go ahead and do this. So um, that's pretty much why we're here. Uh, you know, we we want to we're going to watch the entire series, and I I guess we haven't worked out the full details on the, the end movies, but definitely the end movies in some capacity. And yes, uh, we'll probably do, we'll probably do uh, depending on how the there, there are some recap episodes, so we'll figure out how that works. But generally, it'll be like three episodes per podcast, and you know, we'll we'll go through uh, you know what happens in the episode and kind of use that as our springboard to get into some of the other stuff going on, some of the themes and context and other thoughts that we have. So, um, I guess if you've watched the series before, which I should note that myself and Iro have seen the series, so 
it's going to be a bit of a mixed perspective. Uh, you know, so if you've seen the episode, if you've seen the series before, you know, maybe now's a good time for rewatch. If not, maybe you're going to plan on catching it the first time on Netflix. You can kind of uh, just look at this as sort of a companion as you, you, you we we'd encourage everybody to go ahead and watch along as uh, we, we cover the, cover the show. So, all right. So, um, I guess uh, kind of getting into uh, oh well one final detail uh, have you got we're all watching it subbed right correct that, yeah yeah as a, that that was our final decision yes. I was kind of I, I, the there there's the old dub and there my understanding is Netflix will have a new dub but I figured yeah. I I advocated for watching subtitled because it will be the same no matter when you watch it. Yeah, and I, I've I've seen it. I've seen the series. I I guess to give a little pers- bit of my perspective, I I saw the series shortly after it came out. You know, and probably the last time I've seen it is maybe about fifteen years ago. I have not seen it in a, a long time in its entirety. I've watched it at, at least twice, both subbed and dubbed, um, and I think they're both fine. I don't think you can particularly go wrong and shout out to the shout out to the original dub actors. Cause it's kind of heartbreaking with the, uh, I saw the post going around from um, Tiffany Grant, who was the dub voice for Oscar in the original where uh, they, I guess they wanted to do it so bad that they actually went out to audition for it. They agreed to let them audition the, uh, the original three actors for uh, Oscar Shinji and Ray. And obviously Netflix, it was, Netflix didn't want them. So, you know, it was kind of sad hearing that whole story. But uh, yeah, as Iroh said, there'll be a new dub on the way. We'll see how that goes. I haven't really watched too many Netflix dubs. I know they've had some trouble with their subs, though. So I don't know if they're redoing. (laughs) I don't know if they're redoing the script or how that's all going to work. We will we will see in the near future. I think I think the release was June, right? Um, I think that is what they said. Yes. So that will be coming very soon. But uh yeah, so if you're watching along, we're personally watching subbed. I honestly don't think it's going to harm your experience either way. So whichever you prefer, it should be fine. But uh, Before we get to the main stuff, actually, uh, well, real quick, uh, Eero, when did you watch uh, Evangelion? I'm actually curious. Probably about a decade ago. Um, okay. So kind of early 2000. Wait, oh God, it's 2019. <laughs> <laughs> late 2000s. Yeah, late uh, 2000s. <laughs> post Gurren Lagan. Interesting. Okay, post Gurren Lagan. Yeah. Was, yeah, it was not remotely my first Mecha show. Was, was it, it um, post Fooly Cooly as well? Or Yeah. Interesting. Okay. When, when did it end up on Toonami? Because that was like... I did not watch it on Toonami. I'm not sure it actually aired on Toonami in its full I don't believe so. It was on Cartoon Network. Yeah. Because I, my memory of Evangelion... Here's the thing. If Evangelion had aired on Toonami, I think I would have watched it. Because, you know, look, I watched fucking Gundam Wing, okay? Like, <laughs> if I could watch fucking Gundam Wing, I would watch any goddamn thing with robots in it back then. So I definitely would have watched Evangelion. But I did not. And uh, I think I think it was a very I think it was a very limited run on like Adult Swim or something. I know it was definitely on. That might have been the case. 
I know it was definitely on Cartoon Network at some point. And, it, and I think it was like, it might've been like 10 years ago. It was not like after, it was, it was not soon after the series came out. It was, oh, this was not, this was not like golden age of Toonami. Okay. Then. Yeah. This is like later on. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll go look that up and just be completely wrong, but uh, <laughs> maybe know. we'll find out. I mean, um, my suspicion is it might've been part of uh Toonami had this uh, promotional thing they did every year. It was called, like, I forget what it was called. It was, like, Week of the Giant Robots or yeah, something. Yeah, that is the only time I've aired on Toonami. Is my no, is that the case? Then that would ha- that would be why. Because uh, basically what they did is they licensed, like, one or two episodes of, like, a dozen different mecha anime. Oh, okay. And would just, like, air them during that time slot to kind of just, like... I don't know. I, I think I like to believe it's because they were passionate about giant robots. I wonder if it was them, like post Gundam Wing, being like, "Shit, we got to find a new like giant robot the kids are gonna eat up. Let's just like shotgun blast them and see like which one, you know, uh, you know, which one does well in the ratings." But uh, right, you know, problem with that is that like a lot, a large part of my tsunami experience was in reruns. You know, it was in you know, catching up on episodes I missed because like, you know, I missed, you know, I didn't watch them the first time around. So I uh, found it. Okay. So it was, it aired in 2003. The first two episodes aired in an edited format in 2003 on Toonami's giant robot week. Yep. There we go. And then it aired in 2005 uh, on adult swim unedited. It, it to completion. Yeah. Huh. I guess yeah, uh, 2005, I, I, I probably should have watched it around then. I, Huh. Yeah, because that's that's when I remember. I think that's when I remember it being out, and that and that was like ten years after the show came out. So it was not like a, you know, right after it came out thing or something. But right. Um, Still, but okay. Uh, that's, yeah, that is- I, it'll it'll be interesting to see because, like I say, I feel like most anime fans have already seen Evangelion in one capacity or another. But I'm also an old man. I don't know what the kids are into these days. You know, the kids know what Evangelion is. I mean, we had the movies, but I, I don't even want to, I don't want to talk about the movies on this podcast, but the, <laughs> the uh, yeah, you know, are, are, there's going to be a lot more people watching it now on Netflix because actually that is really the only official way there's going to be able to watch it right now. I mean, yeah, I, unless you have uh, purchased a now defunct um, DVD release. You yes. Know, so. I was going to mention, I have, I dusted off my, uh, my old platinum collection DVD box set with the uh, rather extensive uh, episode notes. So, you know, we'll probably chime in with a couple I, of those I here have, and there. I have the slightly less old box set. Yeah, you have like the, uh, the like the condensed the, size. The holiday one. collection. Yeah. Or whatever it is. I got the big like, like six inch wide, like giant right. thing oh, with the individual shit. volumes in it and the big shiny box with the, with the art. With the, uh, the right, characters like on, back right. in the days when one disc held like three episodes, yes, <laughs> pay like thirty dollars a disc for each one, and yeah, so so perfect for our format, actually. Yes, fun times. I'll just pop in a volume for every uh, <laughs> every podcast, but uh, but yes, if if you'll allow me to, I'm sorry, Jell. I know you're hosting this podcast, and I don't mean to uh, wrangle or to wrest control from you on on, on you know on the rails here, but. But uh, before we get into uh, kind of discussing the episodes themselves, uh, uh, if you'd allow me, I'd like to kind of uh, get into, you know, uh, an aspect of this show that I think will be will make will make this more interesting than if this were just an uh, Evangelion recap podcast. I kind of want to uh, 
kind of want to uh, present a thesis, so to speak, on the show, you know, to, uh, you know, in relation to the fact that I have never watched Evangelion. Thesis on Evangelion. I've never heard that before. I know, uh, right? (laughs) Nobody's done that before. (laughs) But yes, please, G. Sure. So let's, uh, yes, go go for it. Look, let me have the floor on this because... I feel like in many ways this this podcast is happening because of my very long-standing uh, stubborn refusal to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion. You know, despite it being undoubtedly one of Studio Gainax's most uh, most important anime, and uh, a large part of this is uh, hmm how how should I put this? Um, I hate the Evangelion fan base. Uh, I, I have very few kind words to say for them (laughs) and, uh, not everybody in the fan base, but, uh, certainly, certainly certain types. And, uh, I think that's going to lead into kind of my thesis about Evangelion. And, uh, my thesis is that at its core, uh, Evangelion is a mecha anime. Now that's uh, I'm sure that's very uh, very mind blowing <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> okay, but allow me to allow me to elaborate. So basically, my biggest issue with that fan base that I just mentioned is that uh, there are a lot of people in that fan base who like Evangelion, but both overstate its novelty while categorically ignoring uh, other entries in the genre. Yeah, you probably know the types of people I'm talking about. You know the the people who say, "Oh, Evangelion is the only good mecha anime," or that, uh, you know that, uh, you know that, or that Evangelion actually isn't a mecha anime because of X, Y, and Z. That it shouldn't be lumped in with the rest of the genre. And I have always believed that this argument, you know, ranges from either disingenuous to kind of outright willfully ignorant of what the mecha genre has been and can achieve. Um, in response to that, I actually believe that... Uh, I think Hideki Anno and Gainax are huge mecha fans. That Evangelion was made and could only be made by somebody with an extremely deep appreciation uh, for the genre and its conventions. And I think that... Uh, I think that anyone trying to claim that actually uh, Evangelion is great because the people, you know, making it hated mecha anime or quote unquote wanted to put mecha anime in its place are uh, are in fact very wrong. Um, you know, so uh, a core aspect, I think, of my discussion of Ava, kind of in contrast with you two, since both of you guys have watched it while uh, I am the one who has not is uh, I think one of the things I want to do with Evangelion is kind of talk about the things that it does that are actually deeply ingrained into the genre. And, uh, you know, from my own perspective, my, from my own perspective as a mecha fan who has watched, you know, a lot of mecha anime, including shows uh, much older than Evangelion. And try and get into, like, how the things Evangelion does, you know aren't actually necessarily that unique or original, but kind of owe a lot of their achievements to a, uh, you know, to a long and venerable lineage of genre conventions. 
And I, I before I'm sorry, let me finish. <laughs> I know this is going on a bit, but uh, and again, this is not to say that Ava is not unique or that it doesn't do interesting and novel things. In fact, I think it does a lot of you know, in just these three episodes alone, there are a lot of really cool things this show does. But I think that by discussing, you know, kind of where and how some of those, uh, some of those images and conventions and tropes, kind of where they originate from, uh, we can better appreciate the things that it does achieve and the things that it does do that are genuinely unique. Yeah. Um, are we, uh, are we putting you on the couch here, G? Is it, uh, we're going to, we're going to work out your, uh, your, your Evangelion issues here. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Again, I think, I think um, I've made it pretty clear that my issue has never really been with Evangelion itself. Yes. It has been, it has been a two pronged thing that we're, we don't have to get into now. But, where, can we, where can we draw the line between your appreciation for the series and your uh, annoyance with portions of the fandom? We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 I, that's why I'm looking forward to watching this show to kind of finally put this to rest. You know, like I am more than ready and willing to accept Evangelion into my life, while at the same time uh, still talking extremely hot shit about its fan base. <laughs> at every turn, which I will continue to do so. I will uh, never abate in that regard. Uh, uh, we can, we can, we can, we can, you know, listen to this recording when we get to the final episode. And I'm pretty damn confident, even after we finished Evangelion, I'm still going to have a ton of shit to say about the Eva fan base. Oh, maybe it's best we're doing this before the Netflix uh, premiere and uh, get, a, get ahead of uh, the new bad takes that will undoubtedly be popping up. But um yeah, no, I I get there is some pretty obnoxious portions of the Evangelion fandom over the years. Uh, but, you know, it is a good show. It's one of my favorites of all time. Um, I'm technically part of the fandom and I know you're I know you're not calling me out personally, but the uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, it definitely I think it deserves its place as one of the greatest anime of all time. I the the reasons why may be debatable perhaps but uh and and I, I also agree i and i think it'll be an interesting discussion on how it is and i i introduced it as a mecha anime it's a mecha anime there's you know i i would agree i think anybody that disagrees with that does not understand how anime genres work but uh well um yeah i mean i'm looking forward to getting into it so let's uh let's get into it hell yeah <laughs> All right, so we're going to kick things off with episode one, uh, Angel Attack. And, uh, you know, th this is one of those shows that kicks right off into the OP. And I feel like we have to acknowledge Cruel Angel Thesis and uh, ask the question, is Cruel Angel Thesis the greatest anime OP of all time? I want to just throw that out to you guys. <laughs> it's I've, a banger for real. I have generally considered a top two along with Chala Hechala. Ooh, the yeah. order of which will vary I, depending on my mood. I would, I would definitely put it. I mean, again, I'll have to wait until I'm done with the show. I do like the OP a lot, though. It's, it's, uh, it's visually striking, even if you know, <laughs> a lot of it is like rapidly flashing, just like visual bullshit. But it's a visually striking OP, and it's hell of a song. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're going to judge, you know, it's a good song. It's visually striking, and it's obviously had a huge 
you know, impact and staying power. I mean, everybody, <laughs> everybody still knows. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Thesis 20 plus years later. I believe it is still the most sung song in Japanese karaoke uh, places. I mean, you know, not to, you know, not to keep throwing, you know, fucking, you know, curveballs into this discussion, but as uh, Arrow can attest, um, it's kind of fascinating, uh, Cruel Angel's thesis, because, like, visually and musically, like, I'm not going to say it's, like, 100% unique, but it has such a striking aesthetic that it's kind of funny because anybody who's familiar with, like, early 2000s mecha anime can see the, like, undeniable influence that Cruel Angel's, uh, Cruel Angel's thesis had on the genre as a whole. Like, just the complete, like, like the stark visual turn that anime OPs take during that time <laughs> period in that kind of post-Ava era. Yeah, weren't you guys watching a video or something with, like, all the mecha OPs from, like, 1960 to 2015 or something? And, like, you can see yeah. the <laughs> – you can see a couple of key lines, like, when Gundam happened and then, like, later on when Ava happened and, like, it switched right, over. Right, yes, like, the, yes, yeah. the two big lines are basically Gundam and Evangelion. Right. Or, like, so, when all of a sudden you see these gigantic visual shifts in – uh, how mechs are portrayed and promoted in their uh, their opening sequences. Yeah, so but, uh, you could you could do much worse in picking a uh, greatest anime OP of all time, at least at the very least in uh, just sheer notoriety. Yeah, definitely a respectable choice. Uh, you know, I, I would definitely again without nostalgia going for it. I don't know where I would put it in my own personal like you know all time top list, but it is without a doubt a really. Uh, Again, I, I see. I keep saying the word. It is a really striking opening sequence. Yeah, I also just want to get down on on tape here that I've always thought it sounded suspiciously close to Madonna's "Like a Prayer." I'm just going to throw that out there. Huh. Everybody, think about that one. Yeah, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so we, you know, we kick things off with that great OP, and immediately we get like silence, and uh, we get our opening shot with. Uh, we, with our, our main character, Shinji Ikari, we, we see him right away in the kind of the ruins of the city. And he is trying to get in touch with uh, Misato, who we don't meet at this point, other than a racy photo <laughs> that she has uh, sent to him. And she's trying to get in touch. He's trying to get in touch with her because she's supposed to pick him up or whatever. But uh, I didn't have cell phones yet. No, no cell phones. Yeah, I love how. Well, <laughs> So this is supposed to be taking place in what, 2000... 2015. Yes. So, uh, but they still have the green, like the green Japanese payphones and whatnot. And uh, our our silence is quickly interrupted uh, by the appearance of the our first big monster, who is later referred to as the third angel named Sakiel. And we kind of dive right into the, the action here. And Sakio kind of gives us a our first glimpse. Um, well, I'll turn you loose on this on a second G, but our first glimpse at some of Evangelion's weird biomechanical type of monster and robot designs, um, yeah. which are very unique to Ava. Uh, I, I you probably there are probably some copycats after, but I feel like especially at the time, um, really kind of striking. Uh, mix of like the biomechanical stuff and some weird like is this the first time we see exploding crosses 
Um, <laughs> you know, the, I mean, I think the cross imagery is. I mean, well, no, actually, technically, the first time we see cross imagery is in, of course, uh, the uh, classic game uh, Bomberman. So uh, clearly. Uh, clearly, Ava is uh, <laughs> copying, <laughs> copying the Namco Bandai classic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, soft, uh, please. Yeah. But, sure, um, sure. Fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Right, right. It was, well, look, they don't exist anymore, so. Yeah, rest but, in peace, uh, Hudson, or whatever, but yes. Um, so, yeah, we get we kind of get that, that first glimpse into these kind of weird... Uh, robot and monster designs that we're going to see more of. Uh, we'll probably talk yeah, more about I, uh, when we get into unit one, but yeah, go ahead, G. I, I definitely, I definitely do dig, you know, like I think, you know, it is impossible to, you know, talk about mecha anime and monster design without talking about the angels. You know, I, I think they come up, you know, often and for good reason in mecha discourse, you know, whether it is from the very low lows of darling in the Franks from the very high highs of SSSS Gridman, And, I think uh, I actually kind of want to connect this to Gridman a bit because, I mean, yes, Gridman was obviously deeply inspired by Evangelion, but uh, it kind of leads into kind of the actual comparison I would use with Angels, which is uh, Kaiju, actually. Yes. I think uh, it, 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 now that, you know, some time has passed, I think it is actually fairly apparent that uh, Anno is also quite a Kaiju film fan in addition to uh, Mecha. Uh, I think that I think uh, Kaiju is another genre that he draws a lot of influence from. Some of his earliest works were uh, parody films of Ultraman, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. He just did Godzilla a couple years ago, right? So yes, yes, and I mean, I think everybody always talks about how one of Anno's first uh, hallmark roles in the anime industry um, was animating the uh, the War God from uh, Nausicaa, you know, the, the Miyazaki film where. Uh, the like horrible fetus monster robot thing like gets released and goes on a rampage before horrifyingly melting into like a robo skeleton. Um, a lot of the shots from those scenes are done were done by Anno. Right. Like uh, this is uh, this is a guy who clearly you know we we could get to a whole discussion about kaiju's and monsters and what they represent, but I feel that would be disingenuous because I I just do not know kaiju as a genre well enough. I don't know Sentai well enough to like really speak to it. You know, I'm really looking forward to that new Godzilla movie that's coming out soon, but like I wouldn't say it's like a an expertise of mine, but right. I do think a lot of things about angels and the dynamic between them and the Ava units is Ano actually kind of exploring uh kaiju and sentai elements of mecha, you know. Like, right. you know, the whole, you know, monster attacking the city every week and the robot has to go fight it. But uh, I think what it does differently than the kaiju is that, you know, the kaiju have always been, you know, costumes worn by people, correct? But I think for its time, what Anno does kind of unique from kaiju, and I can only speak to the, like, first two you know, angels I've seen in this show so far, but, you know, having seen some of the other ones that show up later just through cultural osmosis is that unlike Kaiju, the angels are very intentionally designed to be things that could not be worn by a man in a rubber suit. Yeah. Sakiel's close other than his weirdly somewhat humanoid, but some of them, even the next one, which we'll get to in uh, episode yes. three is not a human shape. Right. 
Um, and I think that's kind of what helps give them their like very unnerving otherworldly look, you know, like these are not, these are not humans in suits. There is no way for you to think of them as humans in suits. And that intrinsically makes them alien. Yeah. They're pretty, some of them are pretty damn creepy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, you know, Sakiel appears and, you know, in true kaiju fashion, uh, is immune to conventional weaponry. We get a lot of nice detailed shots of the, uh, Japan's defense force military trying man, to, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to keep interrupting, but man, I fucking, I fucking really love the way old Gynax anime looks like I, I this is this is going to be a drum, you know, in the same way that during our, you know, Legend of Galactic Heroes podcast, you can continuously hear me and Iro repeat the words, man, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a really good show. I think the thing you're going to keep hearing from me in this podcast is, man, even Gellion looks really good. Like, just that old school, like, Gynax hand-drawn look, you know, just all that grit in the mechanical details, which I'll probably say for once we kind of finish discussing all three episodes as a whole, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot for me to love in the way Evangelion is drawn. Yeah. It's kind of a cool contrast with like the, the, uh, the angels and the, the Evangelion units too. Cause like, they're so like, you know, bizarre and out there, you know, contrasted with the kind of the more grounded elements, which is, you know, again, another thing we'll probably talk more about in like episode three too, but um, yeah. So uh, Sakiel smashing up the city and Shinji is in danger, but he gets picked up finally by Misato in her hot new sports car. Um, we finally get to meet Misato for the first time, who is um, she's an interesting character. I saw some young lady. Yeah. She's, she, <laughs> she's uh she she comes off as the the irresponsible kind of adult here i mean we kind of got that impression from the photo from the first time we saw her but nevertheless she she picks up shinji and through uh (laughs) through through wrecking her brand new car or whatever it was she finally gets him to nerve and uh nerve is the the big military headquarters where shinji has been called in uh by his uh by his father uh for you know reasons unknown at the moment and uh you know nerve is basically this big underground base uh and uh they you know they uh <laughs> again we still don't know why shinji's there but we we see some of this stuff going on going on we we see um we meet another character uh ritsuko who's going to be another main character uh who is mysteriously climbing out of a pool of water for some reason but uh <laughs> and the the three of them uh the three of them are basically going to meet Shinji's dad who yes uh is well we'll get to Gendo in a minute i did want to mention at, at this point they are going up like a uh there's a really cool shot here where they're like going yeah. up escalators and yes. they yes. see you kind of see like the head of unit 1 at this point uh, yeah. in the background and they're kind of talking about how oh i think i think it's ritsuko because ritsuko so ritsuko is kind of like a scientist that's the, the the like the serious scientist type who's like the, right she's the scientist yeah in, she's you know, the character she's the foil to masato who's like the like silly irresponsible adult one but the uh you know they see the big unit one in the background and they're like oh there's don't worry there's only a 0.0000 whatever percent chance of uh 
activation on unit one here. So you don't have to worry about that giant <laughs> thing in the background. Um, but uh, I, I do want to quickly talk about like, I mean, again, I feel like I'm just going to be keep repeating myself here, but I really do love the way this scene and like a couple of the scenes around this are shot. Like it is like, like them descending in that like weird car elevator, the, like the escalator and like the, you know, the, like the, the, the conveyor belt, like walkways they're taking that kind of just like, you get a lot of these shots of like Shinji and of course the other characters being very small in these very large set pieces. You know, yeah. it, it does this really, uh, a really impressive job of, of kind of communicating scale, uh, which again is like one of those things that like, you know, to kind of get into my thesis a bit, like, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, even Gellion is obviously not the first anime to communicate robots are really big, <laughs> but I think, I think what even Gellion does well in large part due to Anno's directing is, is do a really good job of executing, you know, in, in the execution of communicating that scale, you know, how big of a facility nerve is. I mean, it's literally a, a city, right? Like it's a city sized, like, you know, Tokyo three is, is the nerve headquarters basically. Right. And like, it kind of communicates like how big robots are. Like robots are big, man. Like, <laughs> like, if, you know, one of, I think one of the only other examples I think that has ever equally, has equally effective, has been equally effective at communicating the scale of giant robots as well as what I'm seeing here at Evangelion is, uh, from, uh, Mr. Tomino himself in uh, Gundam F91, I think is the only ever time I've ever seen uh, a robot scale communicated so effectively. And uh, it's just really cool. It's it's like these very like long, stark shots that are kind of relatively quiet that just kind of build up this sense of like unease and tension that like you still don't know. If, if I didn't know anything about Ava, you wouldn't know why there that tension is there. But But it's there. Yeah, you see, yes. you see Unit One, and it's very menacing. Like at that in that that moment, and that's why Rita was like, "Oh, don't worry about it or whatever," because it they, have looks- to, they have to take a boat across this like giant pool, and there's a quick shot of the robot's shoulder. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like shots like that. Just you know, as a as an artist, just. Mm, chef's kiss really 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 good just like visual like narrative storytelling turns out uh anno's a really good director uh also worth pointing out these first two episodes directed by uh kazuya suramaki of that's interesting that you mentioned him because i have i have some things to say about that later of uh fully coolie fame Hashtag <laughs> and also the, uh, yes. I guess the Evangelion movies is where he's been trapped for the past 15 years. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, I don't know. Maybe I just fucking bring that up now because you invoked his name. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just kind of the uh, kind of the well, you know, I'll say I'll save it for later. I'll save it for another uh, another uh, a thesis point I have once we get into it. OK, we can come back to that. But yes. A lot of cool direction, giving you the sense of scale of nerve. It's this entire underground, like flip side of the the city above ground, basically. Like this, yeah, whole, like, geo, they call it the geo front or whatever, right? They're like underground, giant underground. It's that cool sci fi shit, you know? Like, yep. So, uh, so we finally uh, 
kind of get to our destination here in this big headquarters and we meet Shinji's father, Gendo Akari. And uh, Gendo Akari is uh, notoriously a bad man. <laughs> uh, he he's obviously does not have a very good relationship with his son. They've been living apart as it's revealed. And uh, he's only called him in because he has a, a very specific purpose for him. Um, as it turns out, Shinji is one of the only people that can pilot this giant robot thing. And, uh, you know, now that Gendo actually has a use for his uh, son, he has called them in to help. And I feel like just going back to the, the like the point zero 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 one percent chance thing and then kind of up to this moment, I feel like this is kind of like our first like if G were going to talk about invoking mecha tropes. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is like the, you know, only this one guy can pilot this robot and, you know. You know, lo and behold, uh, you know, he's he's the only, you know, despite that point zero 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 percent one chance, you know, he's the only one that can, you know, activate it or somehow he can activate it despite the odds or whatever. And of course, of course. I mean, again, you know, I think there's an aspect that Ava of mech anime that Evangelion is drawing from, which is that, you know, mechs, mecha are inherently extraordinary, you know, like regardless of the mundanity of the rest of the setting, giant robots are in and of them in and of themselves, you know, a an otherworldly extraordinary concept. And uh I think a lot of that is done, you know, very well in uh in the way that Ava Unit 1 is portrayed and the way it is uh presented. Right. It's the, you know, the the unique prototype super weapon thing to battle the uh <laughs> the battle the monsters and yeah, but uh, yeah. So I guess while invoking those kind of mecha tropes, it also maybe asks a question that's maybe less commonly asked in mecha anime: of what happens when uh, the special hero doesn't want to pilot the robot? <laughs> um, well, Joe, and- let me tell you about the 1979 uh, classic <laughs> uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. <laughs> so I, I mean, that is a little bit different, though, right? I mean, kind of. Uh, I mean. And I, I think I think what I find interesting in Evangelion is, you know, Shinji is a 14 year old boy. He's, you know, this is intimidating and and, and frightening. And, uh, you know, he's also kind of dealing with the the, you know, the fact of that, you know, the, the issues that he has with his father in this situation. So, like, I feel like it's a it's a kind of unique almost more realistic type of reaction to this situation. Like, you know, I I don't think every kid is just going to be like, yeah, I'll jump in the robot and fight that giant monster thing. Um, Yeah. Maybe your name isn't Koji Kabuto. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I'm thinking, thinking of, you know, what would, what would a real, you know, 14 year old boy do in that situation? You know, some, maybe some, some surely would just jump in the robot, but I think others would. I think, I think some of us are delusional, delusional enough that, we would want to jump into the robot and not really worry about the consequences. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, I think well, that's, go ahead. G. Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry. Just the thing I want to kind of push back against is the idea that like the comparison is not entirely there. Like I think, I think the thing that they do really well with Shinji and his hesitance to get into the robot is like, it is executed in a much more, I guess, as you say, a much more realistic, believable manner. 
But I would push back against the idea that it is that different from Amuro Ray's own uh, trepidations about getting into the Gundam in the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, in that show as well, which again, from 1979, so it isn't executed with the same amount of nuance or visual fidelity, but the idea there is similar, that Amaro is afraid of getting into the Gundam because getting into the Gundam means war, it means fighting, it means conflict. And at least early on in the show, he is shown to be genuinely fearful uh, for himself and those he has been, you know, been suddenly tasked with protecting. You know, there are a thing that I found striking back when I watched the original Gundam uh, a few years back was actually how tense that show actually feels. Like, despite the bright colors and the kind of awful animation, like, they never stop reminding you that. Like they never stop reminding Amuro, like, Amuro, if you don't get in the Gundam, and if you fuck it up, we're all gonna die. Like, this is all <laughs> on you. Like, we will all yeah. die. And, like, there are sheets there, you know, they show scenes of, like, you know, the ship being shot at and people collapsing, and they keep reminding you that happened because Amuro didn't fight well enough. Like, <laughs> these people are all getting hurt because of you, Amuro, and 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 the pressure and the fear, it crushes him. It, it, it destroys him. And, uh, you know, it takes, uh, fuck, man, it, it, takes like a, it takes like a dozen goddamn episodes for that kid to finally, like, you know, you know, stop, you know, stop being so fearful of getting into the robot. But, uh, yeah, you know, they, they definitely I mean, do it, show it and they definitely do make it a point that it is an important aspect of his character that he is afraid of getting into the robot. Now, the thing I would say that it, it, it differs from Ava is Amaro. Amaro's motivations, his fears for, you know, his fear of getting into the robot is fairly simple. It's simple self-preservation. You know, it's just, I don't want to die, which, you know, is an effective motivator. But I think what they do very well with Shinji and his hesitation is they make it so personal because the way the show is framed up until now, I think... I think I think a thing that they do really well is they constantly emphasize, and they keep doing this in episodes two and three. So maybe we're just front loading all our discussion here, but is they emphasize Shinji's alienation, his sense of isolation from the world? You know, th- this idea that despite you know, no matter what, no matter what anyone, no matter what anybody says to him, that sounds nice. It feels like they never really quite mean it. And then in cases like Gendo, where they make their intentions very clear. It makes it even more like emphasize just just how little they matter to them, how little Shinji matters to them beyond his like cold, calculated utility as an Ava pilot. And, you know, that I think feels like I think that is where it feels unique, where it feels like very uh, well done is like. Is, is, is the part where it's not just self-preservation, it's not just his own life that Shinji fears, it is this feeling of rejection and like the realization you know of like you know look no matter what your relationship is with your dad like you you want your dad's approval right like yes yes on some level (laughs) we're gonna get on you want his approval psychology 101 stuff here yes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) or 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 not even his approval but just like fucking you know you you don't you don't want whatever is happening gives you don't want whatever's happening with Gendo, basically. Uh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I think to the to the Gundam comparison point, maybe it is just the kind of level of nuance in this situation. And and you're right. I mean, Shinji doesn't want to just pilot the robot because you know his dad told him to, and that's you know all that he's good for, right? Like, there, there's a lot of like right. a lot of a lot of different feelings going on in there, and it's not just yeah. fear of you know, I'm going to die if I get in the robot or, you know, everybody's going to die or whatever. There's, there's, there's a lot of other right. things. And I think, I think that, I think that does do, I think that does make it more, uh, effectively, uh, understandable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, I wanted to point out that Gendo never actually says get in the robot Shinji, despite what the internet might tell you. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just that, you know, Luke, I am your father shit, right? Like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's, uh, he actually just says, get in the robot or don't, I don't care. But if you're not going to get out of here. Um, right. You know, Misato is actually, and, the, and then, Misato is actually the one sorry, that comes closest. I was gonna say Misato is actually the one that comes closest to uh, actually telling him to get in the robot. Uh, well, I think I kind of love the dynamic here where they, it's for, you know, first like, it's kind of like I mean it's not actually what it is, but the scene almost feels like a like a weird like like if like emotionally in the room it feels like Gendo uh, uh, Mitsuko and uh, Ritsuko and Masato are like huddled in a corner, be like, "All right, Masato, you go first. Try to get him to get into the robot, right?" So like Masato's out there like, "Hey, kid, please, you gotta get in the robot." Oh, hero, you know she's she's like she's the most like classic robot like you know, mecha anime character of like, oh, be a hero, get in the robot. And then when that fucking doesn't work, Gendo's like, all right, fine. I didn't want to, you know, whatever. We're doing this my way. If <laughs> you don't get in the robot, that girl is, and that's going to be your fault, <laughs> which. Yes. Well, that's the ultimate. Uh, once he's, once it doesn't look like Shinji's going to get in, he plays the trump card there. And, right, uh, just fucking, just em- em- emotional manipulation. Yes. So he carts out. Uh, we get our first, well, I guess technically our second glimpse of uh, of Ray, who yes. is uh, injured from you know fighting earlier, and she's still strapped in her hospital bed and bandaged up. And Gendo's like, "Well, if you're not going to do it, I got to stick her in there." And that finally cut out the sick girl. Yes, and uh, upon seeing the. Sick and injured girl, uh, Shinji uh, finally decides to comply um, and gets in the robot. And um, yeah, we kind of get our uh, first glimpse of uh, the, the the insides of uh, of Unit One and uh, the weird LCL thing, <laughs> which <laughs> people aren't familiar. It's basically fills up with this gross liquid. Uh, where you have to like, it does like the it, like does the breathing for you or something. I don't know. I'm not even sure why yeah, it's there. I mean, I mean, breathing. this is this is this is technically a real concept. Um, liquid breathing. Yes, liquid breathing of using highly oxygenated liquid to uh, fill your lungs. And, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, if we want to get into visual metaphors, it's probably some kind of birth thing or something, but. Um, <laughs> sure but uh yeah i think i think i actually want to get into here um uh, now now here's where i can finally talk about tsurumaki a bit but uh i really love like as a whole like maybe my overarching love of evangelion so far and i think is like really well established here in this scene where it is the 
where the, the Ava unit is getting launched. You know, this is the launch scene. I think, you know, this is this is one of the most iconic moments a mecha anime can have, right, is the launch sequence. You know, prepare, you know, prepare the Gundam, you know, prepare Unit 1, prepare whatever, right? Like, like the moment where the mech powers up and, like, the physical barriers are released and the restraints are taken off and, you know, the, you know, all that stuff, right? And I think what... Evangelion does really well is is evoke the kind of the like the mechanical physicality of giant robots you know like this scene is like top tier Gainax lovingly animating like you know all oh, these panels are moving and like these you know these hydraulic pistons are like you know are, are, are pumping and like you know, these these gears are turning and like, you know, the, the the plug is being inserted in. You have all these cables going around and like, you know, the the like the whole fucking room is like splitting apart to make room for the Ava. And it's like moving on this belt to like, you know, lock into like the like elevator thing and all this shit. Like it's it's Good some stuff. really magnificent stuff. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it more than almost any other mech anime I could think of does a, does a better job of like really kind of, uh, 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 pr- presenting the mech as this very kind of real worn physical object that presides in the space. And yeah, the reason I, w- I want to talk about that and a little bit in relation, relation to Tsurumaki is that, uh, you know, is kind of to related this to other mecha anime that have done this. Um, while I think Ava is probably, off the top of my head, maybe one of the best at this, I do want to speak to the idea that, like, despite the Ava unit's very, like, weird, intentionally, like, you know, off-putting design, there's a very kind of real grounded physicality to everything that happens around it, you know? And uh, I want to tie this uh, specifically to another mecha anime, a far more humble one, in terms of its scope, but uh, I wanted to tie this to uh, Pat Labor. And uh, for those unfamiliar with Pat Labor, um, it's basically a police procedural, except the cops in question deal with giant robot crime. And they, they also deal with giant that. robot crime. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. They, 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 they police giant robots with their own giant robots. And, uh, one aspect of Pat Labor is uh, is intentionally about the mundanity of giant robots. This idea that, well, if giant robots exist, yeah, we'd probably be like super like enthused about them for a little while, and then they'd just become mundane again. You know, like they would become as mundane as construction equipment or a car is. You know, like like nobody sits in traffic and is like, wow, cars, huh? Cars are amazing. No, everybody's <laughs> just like, no, the car is a car. But now, what happens if that's how you treat your giant robot? Right. And that's kind of pat labor in the sense that like like the mech doesn't launch. The mech has to be transported to a crime scene on a flatbed truck. Right. Like you know, they you know, the if 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 the, if if the the giant you know, cop robot needs a gun, you know, it can't like, you know, it doesn't like summon one out of nowhere. Somebody has to put that gun into a pickup truck and drive it to the crime scene. And, you know, that's, there's a really lovely, like, physicality to that. And the reason I want to bring that up is, uh, because, uh, one of the key animators for Pat Labor was, uh, one Kazuya Tsurumaki. 
and uh, you know, in addition, in addition to a few other Gynax names. But I kind of want to bring up this idea that like that physicality has kind of always existed in or in mecha anime. It kind of began to fur, you know become fully explored around the early nineties, and then I think that Evangelion is kind of where I kind of see like in a lot of ways the the kind of peak of that mentality of how to approach how a giant robot is portrayed. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like, I, I do love that, that physical element to, to Evangelion, but for me personally, it's like not always the first thing I think about. Like I always think, you know, the bright color spindly, weird looking organic robot things. And then it's again, you know, like I said earlier, it's an interesting contrast with how like grounded, how much like you think about totally. just like how much you think about how much support is just needed to like keep these things running, and that, that yeah. kind of I mean, think of the thing we keep seeing popping up throughout the series, like we'll see in episode three, particularly, and, and later on in the series, where like it takes like the entire country basically to keep these things moving. Totally, I, and and I love that. I love yeah, that aspect of Evangelion. Like, you know, not to get too much of the next episode, but like, motherfucker, they pick up his head with a crane. You know, <laughs> like, like that's that's like here's the thing. I, again, I recognize that, like, as an artist, as an illustrator, like, maybe my brain is just configured to think about, like, these things a little bit differently. But those are the things I notice, and those are the things that I, myself, am, am, am loving in Evangelion, is just the way this stuff is portrayed, you know? Like, uh, yeah, like like you said, like, it takes a city, it takes a country to support one giant robot. Yeah. And I I truly love that aspect of it. Yeah. All right, well, you mentioned getting into episode two, so let's get into episode two. Um, this is uh, titled The Beast, and starting from here on, every episode is going to have two titles. There's one in English and one in Japanese. So episode two is The Beast, and the Japanese title is Unfamiliar Ceiling. And uh, I guess episode one wrapped up with you know the, the unit one launching and... Uh, you know, between the the end of episode one and the beginning of episode two, basically getting destroyed by uh, Sakiel, who just because yeah. <laughs> because uh, Shinji got the robot to activate, but he doesn't know what he, he's the first time he's been in it. He has no idea how this thing operates, uh, and he can barely even walk, and he just gets yeah, well, uh, I know he gets wrecked. Yeah, he gets he gets he gets wrecked pretty bad and basically blacks out, and so it's kind of an interesting. Yeah interesting format for how this story gets told because they kind of skip ahead to him waking up later uh right in the hospital uh presumably a few days later and uh i think I, is this the first time we hear the cicadas it's the first time i noticed them uh <laughs> are they in episode one i don't know I if they're in i think they've got to be in episode one i think they are i think they are yes i think they are because uh one thing i wrote down in my notes that we didn't really get to or we kind of did is just like you know, the long stretches of silence that are in Evangelion. Yes. And I think silence in my head, but I know that in those long stretches of silence, there were probably cicadas that I have already begun to just filter as white noise during those scenes. Yeah. Silence and or cicadas is basically the biggest chunk of soundtrack for uh, <laughs> Evangelion. And, uh, you know, I kind of like it. You just see, I, I, I think this was the first time, you know, as I was... As I was, you know, getting more into anime, you know, 20 plus whatever years ago and kind of figuring out what I like about it compared to like, you know, Western animation stuff or other cartoons or whatever, like the use of silence. I just always like 
Um, yeah, totally. And and and, and kind of like the negative space of you know either no sound or very minimal action or whatever when used effectively, it's just like such a great mood setter. Um, and- totally. I mean. I think we talked about, you know, again, obviously it goes the other way around, but I feel like that's a large aspect of like why everybody was talking about the comparisons between Gridman and Evangelion, right? Like obviously, you know, uh, Amamiya was, you know, took a huge amount of inspiration from Evangelion, but like kind of a similar idea of like, you know, what what do they say about jazz? It's the notes you don't play, right? Like, Right. Yeah. Or like I was mentioning, like negative space in like design or something, like yeah, you know, exactly leaving leaving the the room to breathe there. And I I, I just I, I love that. And Evangelion's like one of the best examples, uh, which we'll see throughout the series of how to do that. But um, but yeah, we we Shinji wakes up after blacking out, uh, you know, several days later in the hospital, and I guess it looks like things kind of turned out all right. Everybody's still alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean, they're you know they're uh, like I said they were you know they're picking up its head with a with a crane and you know they're uh, looks like they're loading shells into like a giant building or something and <laughs> you know just all these kind of great again like mechanical detail shots of them like picking up the pieces of the fight. Right. Yeah. So I mean, every, everything seems to be calm at the moment. All of our main characters are still alive. We still don't know what happened yet, but something seemed to have happened and uh, kind of get our first introduction to uh, Gendo's bosses. He has people to answer to and um, they're not big fans of nerve. They keep saying it's a waste of money uh, because Gendo's like, Hey, I got to pay for this, you know, billions of maybe trillions of dollars. uh, (laughs) Let's keep this robot running and he needs more money. Yeah, I got to (laughs) keep And uh, the scene was interesting to me because the way I always remember the council or whatever is the big monolith that's a sound only. Yes. uh, Yeah. Other other than the visor man. And so seeing all these other weird looking dudes was like, oh, (laughs) there are people here. I'm not not used to these people being here at all. Yes, you know, I'm actually glad you brought that up. I was going to keep my mouth shut because I didn't want to sound like a fool. But uh, I was about to say is like, you know, again, having absorbed a lot of Evangelion through cultural osmosis, I was like, weren't these dudes like just giant blocks? But uh, I suppose is that it? Well, don't don't actually tell me, but I suppose that is a later development. Yeah, but, uh, probably best. It is interesting. that one alone for now. But yes, at this point, you <laughs> can actually see Gendo's bosses. And they're not super happy, even though he apparently did. We again, we don't know what happened yet, but even though he apparently fought off the angel, uh, they're they're still not happy about this, and they they keep saying how this this whole project is a waste of time. Um, I mean, instead, he should be focusing on the human instrumentality project. Yes, <laughs> we get cut our yes. They do name drop that our kind of first uh, mention of human instrumentality, which they feel should be the the priority here, uh, which. I don't know. Do we? I, I don't even want to touch that one right now. But uh, let's not. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's keep let's keep moving along. Um, it, it does create a a mystery. Yeah, on, yes. goes through the show. What what, yes. what what could be a bigger priority than keeping the, than a giant robot? The, yes, the, there you go, G. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> what could be a bigger priority than a giant robot? I mean, come on. I, I struggle, but also like it's again like. 
it's kind of a common trope, actually. Like, the giant robot that nobody likes but keeps getting results. You know, like, ah, why are you spending all this money on a giant robot? Right, that, gonna that, find... that money could be used on conventional weaponry or something. Right. The higher-ups, the, the man always has to find a reason to get mad about them getting right. Even though saved. the first episode established beyond a doubt that conventional right, weaponry that conv- is useless. Yeah. It doesn't fucking do shit. Not even an N2 mine can uh, blow up an angel, but... Uh, not even. Yeah, so... So, yeah, you know, Shinji wakes up, and we gotta he's got to figure out where, he, where he's going to live now. Um, it's determined uh, Gen, him, him and Gendo don't want to live together. Uh, that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah. But uh, rather than letting Shinji live alone, Masato volunteers to uh, take her in with him. Yes, she needs a manservant. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, some somebody's got to take care of him, right? But uh, so that kind of leads to we get our sort of more lighthearted sort of break here, I guess. <laughs> After the yes. the intensity of uh, episode one and the, the kind of brutal beating we saw unit one taking. And uh, we, we, look, Misato said in the episode preview, she was going to give us some fan service. So yeah, now we're gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we 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 head back to. Uh, did you were you gonna say something, Iro? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it's visually made clear that they they're the only people living in this entire apartment complex. Yeah, and but, but Shinji still has to live in the same apartment as her, and not like <laughs> next door. Same tiny, which apartment. I thought was kind of interesting. Although I by, by yeah I, I, by like. Sorry, Japanese city standards is actually a pretty decent size apartment, but uh, yeah, they say, yeah, yeah, it's kind of an interesting um, visual there it, um, that, you know, Shinji still has to put up with this, even though uh, <laughs> he could literally live anywhere else. But um, but yeah, we kind of get a little bit of the, you know, we, we see Masato's apartment, which she's a, apparently a slob. Um, Turns out Misato is a nightmare person. <laughs> uh, She's got some decent liquor, though. Yeah, yeah, but also, look, I, look, I have known, look, in college, I have known a Misato, right? Like the kind of person who is friendly and easy to get along with, but also you know they specifically get a a neat and tidy roommate <laughs> because they cannot take care of themselves. And they know that as long as they share the rent with a person who does care, that person will always take care of it because they themselves cannot stand living in that film. <laughs> yeah, so it it does kind of work out that way as we get the uh, the little montage of them like divvying up the chores, and somehow Shinji gets like ninety percent of them. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a bit of a lighthearted interlude here. We were introduced to Pen Pen the Penguin, which Masato just randomly right. has in her apartment. Uh, he lives in the second refrigerator. Yes, because you know, as you as you do, you keep your second refrigerator for your pet penguin. Um, and just you know, some some good gags. I like <laughs> I like the gag when Shinji writes runs another classic where it runs out of the bath. And uh, oh, yeah. they, they cover up his junk with uh, one of uh, Misato's beer cans, and then she moves in, yeah. and it, it's a smaller jar of toothpicks. It was so good. Yeah. Um, 
Oh man, I fucking lost it at that. That was a so you know there you go. Genuinely fantastic game. It is a classic Evangelion, not just psychological uh, drama. Also, uh, some pretty good comedy bits, and I, I I think it works great in this episode because you have kind of the ups and downs of like the battle, and then kind of the kind of the, the you know the quiet bits and the funny bits, and uh, you know we get to you know. Things kind of settle down once Shinji gets into the apartment. He finally has kind of a moment alone to think about what happened, and that's that's when the memories come back <laughs> to uh, what actually happened in the battle. And it just it just to finish that point, just like the whole contrast of it, I thought it was like a kind of a neat way to present it instead of just you know showing what happened. Um, and uh, but yeah, he, he he remembers what happened, and. Uh, Unit one basically uh, went berserk. <laughs> yes, uh, we we kind of get kind of some glimpses that it's not a regular robot. It does not appear to be. Um, there's some kind of biological thing going on in there. Once we see kind of the armor cracked off and everything, and uh, once it goes berserk, it uh, literally just eats Sakio. <laughs> like it just like yeah fucking rip the shit out of that angel like brutally savagely yeah murders uh like rips a rips like one of the bone things off it and stabs it with its own bone type of like brutality um yeah i and uh it's 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 quite a it's 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 an impressive scene um yeah which, i i really like this moment yeah, and uh, if I can, if I can uh, dip into the platinum notes here, it mentions uh, this 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 fight. One of the key animators was uh, Gainax's young ace, Yo Yoshinari, was uh, involved. Oh, really? In this particular fight, which I just found calling Yo Yoshinari the young ace amusing. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's a part of me that still sometimes, you know. You know, there there is often a part of me that still likes to think of Yoshinari and Amaishi and Sushio and those guys as the young guns. you know, yeah, the young guns of Gainax. <laughs> when like realistically now those dudes are like pretty old. Well, not you know not old, but they, they are you know they're approaching fifty. They are at least yes, they are they are in their middle ages. Yeah, you know at this point, but uh, but if you let me let talk about this fight a little bit, uh, I really like this fight because. You know, uh, again, I feel like this is this is one of those areas where I think Ava does something uh, very unique, but also it is based in there is there is a foundation in this lineage that I actually really like. You know, the the the, the you know the you know as we call it, the beast, the bestial nature of the Ava unit and the way it fights and the way it like in in the way it is you know uh, kind of monstrous, right? Like we have the scene where. Is it episode two where Shinji looks in the building and sees the reflection? Uh, of, uh, yeah, because I think that's yeah. when he blacked out, right? That's when he blacks out. Yes, yes. I love this because yeah. because now I, I don't want to get like too into it, or I guess I'm going to because I love mecha anime. So sorry, that's but uh, yeah, <laughs> there's often this discussion of there's often this kind of deeper discussion when it comes to mecha anime, usually couched in the kind of tenets of kaiju related mecha anime of the idea that mechs are also monsters, that, that a mech is a monstrous creature. 
You know, it might not be, you know, tentacle and talon, but but a mech is an is an innately monstrous creation. You know, there the 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 modern example I like to use, for example, is like people like to, you know, poke fun at the tagline of the uh, Del Toro movie uh, Pacific Rim. The tagline of that movie is to fight monsters. We created monsters. And some people are like, oh, man, what a cliche. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here, you know, fucking raving like a lunatic. Actually, no, Del Toro is a genius. He understands. <laughs> Del Toro immediately understands better than almost anybody in Hollywood what a giant robot is. A giant robot is a monster. Right. You know, it is a monster of our own design. Yeah. And there's kind of a history to that. Not, But, but the, the thing is that that history is never... That or there's a subtext to that that has been explored in mech anime, but that subtext has never been made text. If that makes sense, yeah, this is pretty you know, clear. It, this is like pure right. savagery, like <laughs> exactly. Like people have often used that. Yeah, people have often like said, "Oh, the robot is a monster" as a metaphor. But Ava is just like, actually, what if we made that metaphor physical? What if we actually just made the giant robot this as monstrous as its as its reputation should make it? You know, the to. To, to bring up Gundam again, one of the classic nicknames for the the titular Gundam is the White Devil. This is a name used by its enemies. It is a name uttered in fear. Right. You know, in, in the original Gundam, you know, they make it a point to show plenty of scenes of like poor Zaku like pilots, you know, and you know bad guy grunts like literally like shitting and pissing themselves in fear because oh god scouts report that the gundam is here the gundam has appeared on the battlefield the white devil has arrived you know this idea that 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 the robot is not just a, a t- the, ro- the robot is not just a a a a powerful war machine but it is a a terrifying harbinger of conflict right and it almost becomes like a fantasy creature like like a, yeah, like a exactly. Or a myth like, or something, right? Like, right. Yeah. It's spoken in the ways of like you know trolls and dragons and such. And I think what Ava does so well, in part because of its amazing visual direction, is instead of couching that in metaphor and and, and rhetoric, the Ava unit is just simply monstrous. It is a it is a mean, nasty, terrible creature. Yeah. Hence the uh, the appropriate title, the Beast. Although if I can uh, if I can quote the Platinum Collection notes again, they ask, uh, "Is this Beast referring to the Angel or Unit Ava Unit One, which went out of control, or the impulse to destroy hidden within within Shinji?" Something to think about <laughs> right. as we get into uh, get into Episode Three, um, which uh, is titled uh, the English title is a transfer. And uh, the Japanese title is The Phone That Never Rings. And so uh, having gotten past the, the first battle there and sorted out his living arrangements, it's, uh, it's time for Shinji to go to school. And uh, of course, you know, Shinji just moved here. He has no friends. Um, I do like that it is a two weeks later thing. Like, they don't show him being introduced to the class. Yeah, yeah. There's no, like, here's your new transfer student, Shinji Akari. Right, right. Like, you, you, always, you always expect that scene in anime, right? I mean, like, we'll get it eventually here. Uh, I mean, yes, yes. I Look, I know about other characters in this show. <laughs> right. But in this case, they kind of just dive right into 
we can kind of see, you know, because you'd expect he wouldn't have friends like on the first day or something, but you can see he's still having trouble kind of fitting in even, you know, a little bit later. Um, which I think, it, I think here's where Ritzko, I think it's Ritzko mentions the hedgehog's dilemma, right? And yes. uh, which ironically is the title of the next episode, but they mention it here, um, which is, you know, the the concept of, you know, the the closer we get, the more we can potentially harm each other, right? And and that kind of push and pull where, you know, we want to be, you know, we want, maybe that, maybe I can quote currently airing Sarazanmai, we want to be connected, but we also, you know, <laughs> want to, uh, you know, we, we want to, we want to keep a certain amount of distance. And, um, you know, that's kind of what Shinji ends up struggling with uh, in, in uh, you know, throughout the course of the series, but particularly here, as uh, he's trying to adjust to his new school life. And we get hit with a couple of new characters. Uh, we very briefly meet Hikari, which we'll see more of later. She's the class rep. Uh, but we're we're introduced to uh, Kensuke and Toji, who are kind of his most prominent male classmates that he kind of sort of uh, befriends, I guess. The, uh, the, the those two guys yes. of anime. Yes, the two, yes. And we have... We have Kensuke, who's kind of like the, you know, dorky military nerd guy who's really into, you know, the military tanks and planes and whatever secret thing is happening with Unit 1, because obviously there's a media blackout on that, all that. And uh, we get Toji, who's kind of the, you know, tough manly man guy. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, you know they, uh, you know they kind of interact a bit in, the, in this part, but uh, I guess we'll, we we get more we get more into that later. Um, Toji is a bit resentful, I guess, of you know whoever the 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 Evangelion pilot is because a he appeared appeared to uh, get his ass beat, and also he did such a fucking shit job of the fight. Yes, and also <laughs> uh, also he wrecked like half the city, and his sister got injured yes. in the in the fight. So he's got a bit of a, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, let's say. Um, but I mean, I kind of like this ass. I kind of like this bit here because it kind of gets into the like, you know, is Toji kind of a dick? Yes, but also are his like. Is his frustration and resentment unwarranted? Like, not exactly. Yeah. In the sense of, like, you know, I mean, again, like a lot of mecha anime have done this. Like the 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 quote unquote the human cost of of a of a mech being a mech. Right. Yeah, Toji does some, you know, kind of bad stuff in this episode, but you also kind of get the impression that maybe that's not really who he is. Um, but yeah. So we meet we meet his classmates. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, somewhere in the background here, we get the teacher talking a little bit about Second Impact. Right. Yes. Um, giving us a little kind of uh, sneaking in a little bit of exposition as to you know how we got here because there hasn't been any up to this point. Um, you know there was apparently some kind of you know big explosion from a meteor or something that uh, you know was a pretty apocalyptic type of event. You know, there's also uh, some foreshadowing here, I think, because they talk about how there's way less people in class because everyone moved away because of the the incident. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Toji also says his parents work at the lab. 
So you can kind of extrapolate that uh, everyone who's here still will be, you know, is important to the effort somehow. Right. They have some kind of connection to nerve or what's going on there. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of why, why I said earlier, it was like, I think at this point, I think all of Tokyo three is basically nerve headquarters, right? Like, like the only people left in this city are the ones who want to stick around next to a giant robot because largely because they have to. So I mean, we see Shinji's classes, like, you know, ha- only like half full or something like that. There's not really, or less, yeah. there's not really like a lot of kids there or whatever. But, um, but yeah, while in class, uh, <laughs> word word gets out on their uh their their high tech uh, text messaging system that uh you know there's rumors that the the pilot of the evangelion is in class and uh somehow they kind of decipher that it's uh well i think they just ask him right <laughs> they, they figure out it. yeah they literally it's, <laughs> yes it's literally like it's like the most it's the most text as text impossible it's like like if this were in english it would literally be the, the text would literally say like r as in the letter r u as in the letter u are you the ava pilot <laughs> you know y slash n you know it's <laughs> like, real probably with an emoji attached somewhere some real top-notch detective work there uh, yes so the, you know the the crowd goes wild and, uh, you know, well, Shinji being a dumbass answers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, would you say he, he's probably supposed to keep that all top secret or whatever, which I was going to say, you think that maybe they didn't tell him to, so. apparently not. I mean, I guess they'd only ever, they only ever dealt with Ray up to this point And Ray's, like, Ray doesn't talk. Anything. Ray doesn't yeah, talk. The but, fact you know. that we've only mentioned Ray like once so far probably is telling, but, uh, the, uh, they did give it, uh, Misato did give him the, uh, the nerve handbook that had the free your eyes only on it. So I don't know, maybe that's some classified stuff in there, but, uh, but yeah, Shinji is temporarily a bit popular, but as we mentioned, uh, you know, Toji's not particularly happy about this because of, you know, the aforementioned, uh, reasons and, uh, <laughs> drags him out back and beats him up, which is eh, kind of, which is like we said, a bit of a dick move at this point, but, uh, cause he, he, Again, like I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't hate him for it for sure. You know, like hey, that it's an entirely reasonable, well, well understandable I, response. I, I don't think I could understand being upset. I don't think there's be any, I, you know, to, I, like other than like even he says, which I, I just thought was kind of a weird line, something like, "Hey, sorry, I had to beat you up because I had to blow up some blow off some steam or whatever," like or something to that effect. I forget exactly what he says. I always thought that was kind of weird, weird line. I wonder if that's like a, a real like Japanese thing. Like, yeah, like I wonder if that's how Japanese people bully each other. Like, hey, sorry, <laughs> beat the shit out of you to work out my own anger or whatever. And it's like that doesn't make it okay. But um, you know, this this will come into play a bit later as uh, we are introduced to our next angel. The next angel attacks, and. Uh, we get uh, we get to see the fourth angel, uh, Shamshell, which looks. I don't think do they even mention its name in this episode, or is I that a? They do not really ever mention yeah, the names of the angels yeah. within Perhaps the show. Any of the names, because like you mentioned Sakio, and like that one's that's the one I knew. And because all of, like, supplementary material stuff. Yeah. So okay. I, I, yeah. For the purpose of podcasting, I'm just giving you the names, but yes, I didn't actually okay. say them in the show or whatever, but. Uh, I was gonna say just the big red, the big red slug. Yeah, it kind of looks like. Uh, <laughs> You guys know what like a flatworm looks like? 
Yeah, there we it go. It looks very that's, much that's like a flatworm until it like kind of stands up. Um, and uh, I well, I've heard many people also compare it to a penis because this is the episode with the male bonding. But uh, that's just a theory as far as I know. Uh, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, sometimes an angel is just an angel. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, sometimes, I've heard that on more than one occasion, but yes. Yes, I think, you know, sometimes a cross-shaped explosion is just a cross-shaped explosion. <laughs> no, nothing to read into there, folks. Move along. But yes, so, uh, you know, the fourth angel shows up and starts smashing stuff up again. Um, and, you know, Ken being the military nerd, wants to sneak out and see it. They've all, they've all been recalled to, like, the underground shelters and everything, and they're just kind of sitting around waiting. So, um, you know, his, his theory is, well... There's a good chance we're going to die anyway, so I might as well see the angel and the, the Evangelion fight before I die, right? So, I like that. I like that mentality. I think Kensuke's got a good head on his shoulders. <laughs> it's, it's sound logic, right? But uh, yeah. So he convinces Toji to sneak out of the shelter with him, and uh, you know they kind of go off to find the Evangelion. Um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to bring up here kind of what we were talking about earlier, but just reiterating just love how like the contrast of the, the, you know, the weird far out there Evangelion designs and the kind of grounded in reality, like limitations they have, because this is our first, yeah this is our first glimpse at the, the, the famous five minute battery life limitation where the Evangelians literally have to have a giant plug in their back or they they have to go on (laughs) battery power. And they're so strong. Very, very subtly referred to as the umbilical cord. Yes. Very subtle there. Uh, yes. Or or th- they have to go on battery power, and since they're so powerful, uh, they can only last for five minutes. Very convenient yes. narrative device. I mean, to kind of kind of speak to this mundanity, actually, like, I mean, I know you mentioned the cable, but I actually want to talk about, and I know this is definitely just me looking way too deep into this, but also, like, it is me looking way too deep into, the, into this in the way that somebody who draws for a living does, and that is that uh, when... Shinji being a dumbass gets his rifle like cut up and he needs to get a spare rifle. Like he like, and here's the thing. It comes from, it comes with that one, like I lovely piece of concept art for Ava that I always talk about, but like he grabs a spare rifle out of a, out of a building, like like out of a, out of a giant building shaped rifle rack. Right. Like he basically opens up the side of the building and there's, there's like a rifle there and he grabs it. Right. And it's like, I think there's something really lovely there about this idea of trying to in universe this 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 desire to maintain the illusion of normalcy in a city that is clearly no longer normal. Right. Like like in, in many ways the nature of Ava like the nature of the Ava is or the you know at least the existence of the Ava unit is public knowledge, right? I mean Kensuke knows about it. People know a giant robot defends Tokyo 3 from a, from a you know, a giant monster every fucking couple of weeks to decades, apparently. Like, and people so people, Tokyo three seem to at least. Yeah, so people know about the giant robot, right. but like, there is this desire to still like. So in, in that case, like, if everybody knows about the giant robot, why not just leave the giant rifle hanging there in the middle of the city? You know, not like fucking anybody else is gonna like steal it, right? right? right. <laughs> like, it's all it's for it's you know it's for the giant robot that lives under the yeah. city. But there's just this, like, fun, I think, like, interesting desire that is reflected 
by the inhabitants of Tokyo 3 that like, no, no, we're going to hide inside of a giant fake building because like we want we, we, we want to maintain the illusion, right? We want to we want we, we want to pretend we still live in a normal world and not one in which a giant robot pulls a rifle out of, you know, a fake building. Right. And uh, it, it it just kind of builds to those details that I really love about what I've seen so far in the show of, again, just like that, that, that mechanical physicality of it, you know? And again, yeah, totally like contrasted, like all those gritty details contrasted against the very like otherworldly creatures, you know, they're tasked with fighting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just kind of neat seeing those things that are like, like it's not realistic because obviously none of this could ever really happen, but there's a lot of thought that's put into like, well, if it did happen, uh, you know, what were some of the practical, you know, what, how would people feel about these things? You know, what are some of the practical and what are some of the practical concerns that people would have? And, you know, like how, how would that all plant pan out? And it's just like a nice, really cool level of, of detail with stuff like that. Um, and it just looks cool pulling a giant, Oh yeah, no. Gun yeah. out of a building or whatever. But I mean, look, there's there's an aspect there's an aspect of this where I am doing what the people who try to analyze the crosses in Evangelion do of looking way too deeply into this, but also like I just like it as a very cool visual image, you know. And I think that it's a lot of what Ava does well is just a lot of cool imagery. It can uh, it can be both things, right? But uh, yeah, so. So yeah, uh, you know Shinji is uh, fighting the angel, and we kind of get the the reveal that once he gets his cord cut, he's only got five minutes of uh, sort of battery life left. It's a very Ultraman kind of thing. His Ultraman can only transform for three minutes. Yes, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a convenient narrative device to add some immediate tension. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they're they're saying, pull back, Shinji. We'll we'll get you plugged back in, and uh, you know fight again and he decides to go for it um whether that was a smart decision or him just really wanting to kill this thing uh you know we talked about the end of episode two who is who is the beast here um he uh pulls out his uh was there a special name for the knife i forget now the the progressive knife the progressive Progressive knife knife, yeah earlier when speaking to his classmates and they asked him what his robot's killer move was (laughs) i guess it's a knife a very normal looking knife. There's not like really any delivering on that promise. Yeah. It's like a um, vibro knife. It's a cool knife. It's a high frequency blade. True. Yes. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, it's, it is like, it is the cooler cousin of the beam sword. <laughs> the vibro knife. Yes. Cause you know, you need something to cut through those angels, AT fields, which I don't think we've said yet on the podcast, but you know, they're absolute terror force field things that nothing can, penetrate except the evangelion um i mean yes is there explanation for why conventional weaponry doesn't work on the angels it also had that one cool shot where unit one like literally rips it apart with its fingers uh or like that was in the previous fight but it makes it it makes a neat visual at the very least but um so yeah you know shinji decides to go for the kill even though he's got five minutes left and in uh, you know true dramatic fashion really there's a really great visual here where he has his, the same like dead eyed face he has at the start of the episode where he's just mindlessly shooting in the simulation. 
Uh, and then the second it switches to one minute left, flies into like Berserker Rage. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. Because in the beginning, they had showed the little training montage where he's where they're like, point at the target, pull the trigger. And he's just like completely like just blank faced and following orders or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a kind of a neat you know, visual, perhaps uh, look into Shinji's state of mind at this point. Um, but, uh, so yeah, in true dramatic fashion though, he, the angel dies right as the timer, the five minutes runs out. Um, oh, I guess we forgot to mention, cause that's kind of important during the fight. Uh, he runs into Kensuke and, T- and Toji who are trying to get a look, um, at the battle and you have to let them into the cockpit. Yes. So, uh, at that, at that point he had, they have to, uh, he has to let them into the cockpit and you know they have a they have a bit of a change of heart on Shinji, I think, because they kind of see what this you know what what fighting the angels is really like, right? And uh, you know, I think at this point, <laughs> I think I put in the notes, Shinji almost makes a friend by the end of this. But uh, but yeah, so that kind of um, that kind of wraps up episode three, and I think we're going to pick up a little bit more on that stuff in episode four. But uh, but yeah, that's the introdu- introduction to Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, G, do you have there's, any initial... There's the three-episode rule. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what? I, I was going to ask... One at a time. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what were you saying, Iroh? Three-episode rule? Is, is, you know. is Evangelion still worth watching after three episodes? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... I guess if we want to talk about my early impressions, uh, like I said, you know, uh, I mean, I think, I, like I said, at the very top of this, I I never disliked Evangelion itself. The show itself, I never really held a grudge towards. The grudge I held towards Ava was more related to its legacy and the causality of its existence, you know, which, you know, I, I can go into a very long spiel about how I low-key, you know, think that, Ava basically killed mecha anime, but we can save that for, you know, another day. Yeah, I think that'll be a more interesting topic once we get, like, through it all. Um, yes, but but I will say that, like, in terms of early impressions, I, again, like, I am really enjoying what I've seen so far. Uh, that said, I will say what I am enjoying so far are the stuff that could be described as my brand of bullshit, you know? Like, the rifle coming out of the building, the the part where they pick up Unit one's head with a crane. The very physical nature of the show. Those are the things I really love. The narrative, I- I'm fine with it. I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, it it is a perfectly sufficient vehicle to carry this. Uh, you know, at least so far, monster of the week robot anime. But uh, for me, it is definitely the like. It is definitely the visual execution of it. You know, the just the. The really excellent, you know, visual visual directing and the shot composition and like the eye for mechanical detail and like just everything related to the way it's drawn. I am super in love with it in terms of everything else. I'm I mean, I'm kind of more ambivalent on honestly, like the plot is fine. You know, like Shinji is. Look, I, I will say that I think in many ways we we picked a good time to watch. Just say Evangelion. what you told me when yeah. we were watching. All right, I think Shinji is a fuckboy. Oh boy! 
like I, I don't like him as a character. Uh. I think he sucks. But I like the show, and that's that's the different that's the that's the differentiation I am making here is that I think when I was younger, I could not watch a show with a protagonist I did not like. You know, in in my head, you know, a good show needed a likable protagonist. They needed a, prota- a protagonist I could like enjoy watching them succeed in. But you know, now that I've gotten older and more mature, and you know, like. You know, I'll put it this way. When we watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes, I still like the Reinhardt episodes. I don't like him as a person, but he's a good character. And uh, I'm I'm beginning to think that's probably going to be eventually my feelings on Shinji is that I can, I can totally respect and understand the intentionality of his character. Like the way he is written, the way he is presented, I totally get it. Like, I don't want anyone out there fucking saying, oh, geez, just... She just doesn't get Shinji. He's not smart enough to. Like, fuck off with that shit. Like, I totally get what they're doing with Shinji's character. That doesn't mean I have to like him very much. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because I think I I think I remember saying those exact words when I first watched the show, uh, like fifteen years ago or whatever. Um, really, you said you you coined the term. Fuck well, boy? I don't think that term existed back in nineteen ninety eight or whatever, but. Um, <laughs> But but I remember having the conversation with my friends how like oh I hate Shinji he's, he, and like he's such an annoying character but I like that he but I think he's you know like you can have a, a character who's like you don't necessarily like him but you like you understand what they're doing with him and you like like the position his position in the show like he's that's like the purpose he's serving or whatever and that was my, yeah totally so, I, 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 yeah so I was gonna say like you know everything you said was pretty much how I felt when I first watched the show. Um, I'm finding now, uh, you know, 20 years later or whatever with, uh, kind of, I guess two things here, if I can make it slightly serious, but the, you know, me just getting older and perhaps maybe a little more, uh, sympathetic. <laughs> and also I think hearing more about how a lot of what, Shinji goes through in Evangelion is sort of a allegory for uh, Ano's own coping with depression. Um, kind of made it put put Shinji's story in a kind of a different light to me. And I don't know if it's fair to necessarily judge the work based on like outside context like that. But for me personally, I feel that like now. I'm much more sympathetic to Shinji than I was like 20 years ago or even 15 years ago. And like the last, like I probably watched it maybe like 2003 ish or something last time I watched it. Um, We'll see. Cause the other thing is I also know what happens. (laughs) We'll see how I feel by the time we reach end of Evangelion. Um, But that has been my initial impression so far in the kind of the difference between me personally watching it now and me um, watching it when I originally watched it or the last time I watched it. So. Sure. That, that makes sense. You know, I, again, I wouldn't say, I would never say that Shinji is like a poorly written character. I would never say my dislike of the character is because of some like technical failing in Evangelion on Evangelion's part. It's just that I personally, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't, 
to 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 cover my bases here, I don't even need a protagonist who is you know a hot blooded dumbass. That that is not that is not even my ideal mecha pilot. You know, like I like that type of mecha pilot. You know, I love my 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 you know my Ryomas and my Koji Kabutos. You know, but like. I would never say like, oh, that is the only kind of mecha pilot I enjoy. You know, I think that, for example, to bring it up again, I think Amaro is a very interesting and compelling character in a lot of ways. So when I say that I think Shinji is a fuckboy and that I don't like him that much, that is that is purely a uh, a personal preference. Thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, and but, I get. Uh, I mean, it, it is it's frustrating sometimes when you're watching the show and you know. <laughs> it's the you know get in the robot like if you you know it's it's kind of hard it can be a little frustrating to watch sometimes but yeah i don't know it's it's hard for me to divorce that from the context of you know i guess what i what i know course, now yeah. at this point of you know what 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 shinji's character is trying to portray and everything but uh yeah right i wrote well uh what about I you gonna ask, yeah you know i wrote <laughs> it's been a good 10 years since you've seen it how are are you feeling any different watching these first three episodes than uh you know, your last time. Um, I think the like subtlety and the character writing really stands out to me now. Uh, then perhaps it did before when I was less aware of such things like the, uh, stuff like I pointed out how Shinji mentions the knife and then it comes out later, which a is some people might call that basic storytelling, but also, uh, <laughs> You know. presented, it's presented very well. Yes. Be surprised and how like hard stuff- uh, basic storytelling can be sometimes, right? <laughs> right. Um, mm. And stuff like his relationship with Misato in episode yes, two I'm glad you brought that is uh, yeah, I... very well done. I think. Like we see, how, like we start to see like her facade that she keeps up, and how that's interacting with Shinji's own problems in not necessarily good ways. Yeah, yeah, but also totally. neither I, of them can really help themselves. Right. I, I'm glad you brought up Misato because you know there's so much to talk about. It, 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 you know that I, I figure we might just skip it over for the sake of time. But I actually really do like. I really, I really like Misato and Shinji's relationship. Not because I think it is a good or healthy relationship, but because it is very interesting to watch those two personalities bounce off each other. Like you can tell that, like you can tell on some level that Misato has like fairly good intentions or that she you know she is trying her best to make shinji like feel welcome and appreciated but she's so fucking bad at that job <laughs> like yeah like it really says a lot that like it really says a lot that the the best thing that masato maybe does for shinji in these three episodes is basically tell him that like Hey Shinji, like it's at the end of episode two. It's like Shinji, you did a, like a really brave, commendable thing, you know. And it's like the it's, that that scene in particular I find interesting because it's the like one time she drops her outward personality to him, but also that's like the one thing she'll say that he won't believe for a second. Yeah, yeah, it's like. There's this. There's definitely this aspect of like with Misato where it's like there's that contrast against like Shinji's like unfamiliarity and alienation, right? Like there are all these scenes. I feel like we're like you know like there's a part when Misato brings Shinji to her apartment 
And, you know, he says, like, excuse me. And then she insists, no, no, this is your home now. Like, you're supposed to say I'm home, right? And you can tell that's Misato trying to be, like, welcoming. But also to a person with Shinji's, like, personality. I think, like, it just comes off as, like, way too overbearing and, like, patronizing, right? But, like, that's that's how Misato knows how to be friendly. And, like she can't help that that's just how she does it. Yeah. Masato is one of the most interesting characters in the show. Cause she has a, a lot of, uh, a lot of facets to her. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they even say at some point in the episode, like she takes him in out of her arrogance or something. Right. Wasn't that one of the, the lines I, I'm trying to remember maybe I'm, but, uh, was that in the, these three episodes? I mean, yeah, she uh, calls Ritsuko to basically say, "I have no idea how to deal with uh, this situation," and Ritsuko says, "It's your own fault for volunteering." Right. I mean, you you could say it's a type of arrogance, right? Like Misato is so confident in her ability to quote unquote fix Shinji, right? You know, to to make it all good and right. You know. Yeah. Well, like, I, th- I I kind of. Like, I can take. I wouldn't even go. I wouldn't even go. I read it as like her trying to find some kind of a validation for her own existence or something. Like I don't know, taking on a project to make her feel like she's doing something good or something. But um, sure, sure. And not to say that she doesn't have doesn't mean well for Shinji or doesn't you know have good intentions in that regard. But there, I think there's more. I think there's more to Masato than meets the eye in these uh <laughs> when when we first meet her for sure. So yeah, just the like subtlety of writing where that last scene we can understand that it is the one time in that episode that Misato's being the most genuine with her statement, while at the same time realizing that it might be the worst thing to say to Shinji. Right. Yep. That is some uh some good writing to set because you got to set that up right for that to work, and they do a great job mm-hmm. setting that up. I mean, I think, I think it leads me to my uh, my other my other uh, thesis slash conclusion that uh, Shinji would be fine if he was just not surrounded by all these kind of awful messed <laughs> up people, and like that is supported by um, evidence A, the Super Robot Wars franchise, oh. in which. Uh, in which Shinji is a hallmark of that <laughs> franchise. He is a beloved icon of the Super Robot Wars franchise, specifically because everybody always loves to see how in this Super Robot Wars game, which Super Robot pilot will take uh, fledgling Shinji under his wing he just, and uh, show him how to uh, <laughs> give him the life advice he so How can so we take the you? characters from Evangelion and make them not the characters from Evangelion? Oh, whatever. <laughs> But gee, but gee, what if the real message here is that we're all kind of horrible and terrible? <laughs> it's the hedgehog's mm. dilemma. We all have our spines and poke at each other, and yeah. But uh, or yeah, you're right. Maybe he just needs a hot-blooded mecha pilot to take him under his wing. I don't know. But all right, well, that's probably as uh good a place as any to cut things off here i think we went a little longer yes. than i wanted 
a nice short podcast about Neon Genesis. I, I, I figured we'd go a little long on this one because there's going to be there's going to be a lot of intro stuff to get through. We'll probably be a little more probably be a little more breezy in the next couple of episodes. But you know, we have a lot of groundwork to lay and whatnot on this. And I think now that we've kind of got our general opinions out there, we can kind of get into more specific stuff as we move along. But uh, but yeah, so I think that'll do it. Um, let's uh, go ahead and move on to our housekeeping. Uh, you can read everything that we write at theglorioblog.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can uh, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast feed on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and other places. I'm probably missing a few. Um, YouTube, we're on there too. Um, and on the podcast feed, you'll find our other podcasts, of course, The Glorio Chat, where we talk about currently airing anime, or allegedly anyway. We'll see how this season goes. Oh, well, we'll see how that goes um, this season. And uh, Legend of the Glorio Heroes, where G and Iroh, you do the pitch, G. What is it, the, the line? Uh, we we discuss and react to the legendary 1988 science fiction there OVA. You go. So that is we're halfway through on that. So go check that out. Uh, you know, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, I think that's about it. Except for uh, I think I have one more thing I need to do here. So bear with me one second. All right. Next time on Neon Genesis Evangelio, we'll talk about episode four. Hedgehog's Dilemma, a.k.a. Rain After Running Away. Episode 5, Ray 1, a.k.a. Ray Beyond the Heart. Episode 6, Ray 2, a.k.a. Decisive Battle in Tokyo 3. And maybe we'll give you a little fan service. See you next time. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to do that every time now, aren't I?